Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports uh, Podcasting Network. I am Tom Reed, your host and moderator, joined today by Taylor Haas and with Dave Molinari uh, aboard. Uh, A little bit later, we will have uh, a longtime uh, NBCSN broadcaster, John Forslund, who also has worked with the Carolina Hurricanes and uh, starting this coming season, we'll be working with the Seattle Kraken. So it's always good to hear John's perspective on some stuff. And uh, for those for those listening to us in the last couple of hours on July 1st, happy Canada Day to those Canadians out there. Uh, not a great start for the franchise or the Montreal Canadiens, but uh, always a great day to talk to our Canadian neighbors. Uh, but... More locally, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, are now within a month of the draft coming, and what a draft it's going to be. Uh, The Penguins are as much spectators as anything else. Uh, They only have two picks in the first five rounds, and their first pick is number 57, which is in the second round. Uh, But this is an unusual year because of the the way that, that there was very limited scouting, a very little in arena scouting, and uh, Dave wrote an interest. Uh, Dave Molinari, our Dave Molinari, wrote an interesting piece uh, that's up on the website right now about kind of what could happen with that pick and all the variables that are in play and how this is a, a very different draft than in years past. Dave, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you wrote? Well, uh, the gist of it is that uh, in the past twenty years of the. Uh the players who were drafted 57th overall uh, by a ver- you know a variety of teams, of course, uh, exactly half of them have, have made it to the NHL, uh, some uh, for longer stays than others. And, you know, it's worth noting that the last three guys taken 57th overall haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, but it's certainly possible that they will. Uh, you know, players uh, often need you know, time to develop. So, you know, the, historically, the Penguins' chances of getting an NHL player out of the uh, out of that pick was, probably will end up being a little better than than fifty fifty. And, and Taylor, uh, this is a different year, though, is it not? Uh, because of of how teams uh, the the very limited uh, nature in some cases that that that. Uh, that evaluations uh, personnel people have had a chance to see some of these players because of the COVID issues this past season. And might that make for a little kind of a a volatile draft as far as even a little bit more than usual, as far as kind of guessing game on these guys? Yeah. I mean, even in a normal year, after you get out of the first round, it's kind of like those mid rounds are kind of a crapshoot where like you have these league rankings, but guys are going like way out of order um, like the center scouting ratings and all, but like guys are going much higher, much lower than maybe uh, anticipated. Uh, so I think now, you take into account now, like you said, that a lot of these teams haven't been able to scout some of these guys. I mean, if they're coming from the OHL or maybe some college teams they haven't even played in the last year, um, it's. I think it's going to be much much tighter. You're going to uh, like you said, volatile. So the Penguins could end up, you know, getting a steal at 57. Um, you know, if it's a guy that maybe slipped under other teams' radars just because they haven't been able to see him in the last year or so. 
And, and Dave, we all know that if, if, if there is, uh, if your team is picking 57th, uh, every front office person is, is going to say it's a very deep draft. We'd see at least 57 really good in this draft, but right there to, to, to on Taylor's point, might be some slippage here where guys who maybe are a little more talented for, for whatever reason, again, everyone has their own draft. Uh, but in this year, it's really to me never. Oh, yeah, it, that's certainly true. And But so is the flip side that, you know, teams that might have gotten a limited uh, look at a prospect and decided they really like him, but it turns out that they would realize they had him overrated if they saw him on a more regular basis. So, you know, I, I think that the, uh, the limited uh, look that scouts have had at prospects, you know, can cut both ways. Uh you know, the, the Penguins have done a pretty good job over the years of, you know, finding, uh, finding talent in, in the mid to late rounds. So I might like their chances of landing somebody uh, good at 57, uh, more than that of most teams. But, you know, it's, it's far from certain that they'll be able to. Yeah, and I got to tell you, and this goes with the bigger picture. And I know right now most fans are focused on what's going to happen next season, what new players could they possibly get in here. But we've talked about this. We've all written about it. I mean, they could really use some some luck here in this draft. I mean, they have, again, a second-round pick, a fifth-round pick, and three-sevenths. Is that correct, Taylor? Yeah, and I can um... – if you want to go through like the ones that were moved out, the first one went to Minnesota in the uh, Zucker trade. Um, the second one went to, well, no, they have their second. The third one went to, <laughs> that was in the Marlowe trade. Um, that didn't work out. Uh, the fourth one went to Arizona in the, uh, in the Kessel trade. Uh, and then the sixth went to um, Edmonton in the Marino trade. So that's probably the, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I guess what we're saying here is that you already look at a a pipeline that's that is not exactly flowing right now, and you're about to only add, you know, a potentially. And then of course, there's always trades, five picks and two of them in the top five rounds. Dave, uh, this would be a year if if ever there were a year to try to get something going and hit on that number fifty-seven pick. And of course, we're not going to see them next season. You wouldn't think, but we're looking like two or three years down the line is where you're you're really trying to stem uh, stem what could possibly be a, this drop in the endings. I would think. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it will be a much different team by the time the. Uh number 57 pick is ready to uh, play in the NHL, assuming he, you know, develops to the point where he's ready to take that step. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no question that their, uh, you know, their, uh, their talent pipeline is, is pretty dry and, you know, that's the price uh, they've paid to, uh, you know, try to make a run at the Stanley cup every year for a decade and a half. Uh, you know, the fact that they have three banners to show for it, I think, suggests that it probably was was worth the uh, the gambles they took, even though certainly uh, all of them didn't work out the way they would have liked. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Uh, another thing that's coming up, uh, everything's kind of going be going to be coming up at once. We're going to go from a period of where nothing has been going on to very quickly here. 
uh, have a draft, an expansion draft, free agency. And I want to pick that player today and kind of bring this all together in, in one segment. Uh, as you guys know, that they've been listening to us every podcast. We've been in the offseason doing a player evaluation. And today we're going to take a look at Jason Zucker's season. And, you know, I think if, 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 they're old, if the Penguins' old buddy Ron Francis could ever do them a favor, uh, it could be in the expansion draft and maybe taking uh, Jason Zucker off their hands. Not that he hasn't been decent here because he's been a hardworking player. Uh, but boy, uh, with that contract, I think he's the fifth highest paid player on the team next season. If they were to, to lose that contract, it would probably help them long-term. Uh, start with you, Taylor. What are your thoughts of his season and what's this looking like going forward with Jason Zucker? Yeah, it just seems like since he's been here, he hasn't really meshed with any one center particularly well. Um, and he's had, you know, opportunities with pretty much all of them. Uh, and I mean, you point to his cap at 5.5 million. That's hard to ignore. I mean, like what could they be doing with that 5.5 million? Um, if he did get picked up by Seattle, but, uh, yeah, just, he kind of took a step back this year, I think, uh, 18 points in 38 games. Uh, that's, and a lot of that, you know, was playing on the second line. He was playing on the third line. Um, uh, but I mean, if you're going to be playing with, you know, Malkin or uh, whoever's on the second line at the time, you're going to be putting more points than that. Um, and I mean, you, you talk about the expansion draft. I think there's no debate that he's going to be exposed. Like there's no reason to protect Jason Zucker. Um, I, it would definitely, be, I think, help the Penguins if, if Seattle took him. Uh, and I don't think, you know, his cap hit wouldn't be as much of a deterrent to, uh, to Seattle. I, expansion teams i mean they're not going to get they have to reach the cap floor and they're not going to reach that by picking you know like uh third like bottom six you know forwards the guys that are really going to be available so they're going to have to take you know some high contract players and I, we saw it kind of with vegas where vegas was willing to do that to start but not really with uh long-term deals because they don't want to be tied into to a bad contract um you know, with a lot of term, um, but Zucker, I mean, he's a free agent in 2023. So that's, um, that I think could, could help uh, their case because he, he does only have, have two years left on that contract. So if Seattle were to, to take him, um, he, he would, they wouldn't be tied into a, a deal that high for that long. Um, but again, I, uh, it, it, the Penguins might have better options for them um, who are going to be left available. So I don't know if that'll actually happen. Dave, just look at this from if you could look at it from Ron Francis's perspective. Again, as Taylor laid out, five point five million cap hit, but it's not as though this isn't a good player who's had success in the past and who who plays very hard. It for whatever reason just hasn't worked out here. I know there's thirty one moving parts as far as what they're going to do, but when you look at it from Seattle's perspective, is he? at all an enticing player? Well, I mean, he could be. There, You know, there are two things to keep in mind. Uh, uh, one is that for all Ron Francis meant to this franchise and for how he has remained close with a lot of people affiliated with this franchise, uh, he is not going to be looking to do the Penguins any favors in the expansion draft. His, his... Dave, it's the 40th year anniversary of the trade. <laughs> Wouldn't this be a wonderful gift to the Penguins? <laughs> one, more, one more gift? 
I, they'll have to settle for flowers. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, his, his responsibility is to build the best possible team that he can for Seattle and how that affects other teams, whether you know he's had a relationship with them or not, is irrelevant. And the, the second thing to consider is that who Francis picks from uh, from the Penguins will just be one of 30 pieces that he's right, adding right. in the expansion draft. And, and these moves can't be viewed in isolation. You know, if, if he needs a versatile veteran winger who is capable of scoring 20, 25 goals, you know, then Zucker might well have appeal to him. There, there's no question that Zucker hasn't produced to expectations with the Penguins, but as you noted, it, it's not a lack of effort. The guy gives an honest one every time he goes over the boards, um, but he hasn't been a good fit here. Uh, losing him would not be a major setback, so I, I'm sure the Penguins will expose him, but if he ends up in Seattle, uh, it, it won't be because Ron Francis was uh, trying to do a favor for his old buddy, Mario Lemieux. That's it's, right. It's That's a right. new franchise. They do need, you know, good community guys. And, I mean, Zucker's probably going to be the best one available, former King Clancy winner. Uh, hey, he's a, he's a hey, good player. He, he's a, he's good, a good guy, too. He's a good player. It just, for whatever reason, as you, as you guys have both have kind of alluded to, it just hasn't worked out. But, you know, you look at that. You, you look at the – Las Vegas roster, even in the first year, you see some of the guys that that other teams either they don't say gave up on because you're you don't necessarily ever want to lose a player. But I could see a guy like Zucker going to Seattle and kind of recapturing his game a little bit. There wouldn't be a lot of pressure there. Uh, I I I don't I could see it work. We'll see. Uh, we're just getting started. We'll come back with the roundtable in the next segment, and we have a little bit later. John Forslund uh, will be joining us to talk about. Some, maybe some Ron Francis talk, some Seattle Kraken, and, and some other topics of interest. So stick with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Podcasting Network. Uh, we'll get to our roundtable segment today. And, and obviously, as the Stanley Cup Finals go on, it's a matchup of two uh from this generation. Uh, Carey Price, who's been around the league for a lot longer, is making his first appearance in a Stanley Cup final. And Andre Vasilevsky, who is trying to uh, help lead the Lightning to back-to-back cup wins uh, for the first time since the Penguins did it uh, several years ago. And the, one of the things that's, that has come up, and DK himself wrote about this recently, is just the importance of goaltending. We all know it's the most important position. There's this there's this question out there, do you need an elite goalie? And when I just say elite goalie, guy who does it year in, year out, 
that kind of goalie? Or do, or can you get by with a goalie who's playing really well in the playoffs and their team does other things really well? And by them, by what them, I'm thinking of guys like Chris Osgood uh, was in back-to-back finals, played against the Penguins. Uh, you can make a case maybe for a Jordan Bennington who's great story and it took him a long time to get going and has been a very good goalie was excellent in the in the finals when they beat Boston in seven games and even right here in Pittsburgh Matt Murray who uh, had two terrific cup runs with the Penguins to win the Stanley Cups uh, but since then I don't think he would be anyone's picking a t- of a top 15 goalies so put it to you Taylor do you do the Penguins a team like the Penguins who's trying to win one more cup? Does Tristan Jari need to evolve into an elite goalie, or does he just need to be good enough not to lose playoff games? I mean, I think you pretty much covered it in your in your question. You know, there are examples of guys who've just gotten hot, you know, maybe at the right time, um, even if they aren't, you know, like a career elite goaltender, um, and and you know that was enough. And so, I mean, Jari still could. I mean, theoretically, be that guy for them if, if you know, he gets hot at the right time at the right time of the year um, for them in the playoffs. He doesn't have to be an elite, you know, number one all-star goaltender uh, to carry them through. But if, if he, you know, in, in this past playoffs, like the team in front of him is strong enough that even average goaltending would have gotten them at least out of the first round, maybe further. Um, so, I mean, if he's <laughs> uh, good, like who knows what they could do. Uh, but yeah, if, if he gets hot, you know, uh, like some goaltenders have in the past, uh, he could, that could be enough. Dave. Yeah. Good. No, it just, I, you don't have to be an elite goalie, uh, for your team to win a cup, but you have to be capable of elevating your game to an elite level. It doesn't have to be there almost constantly the way it is for guys like Vasilevsky and Carey Price, but you have to be able to get it there and keep it there for a while. Uh, you know, certainly Matt Murray did that in, in the two cup runs that, that the Penguins had in 2016 and, and 2017. Uh, you, you're not going to win a cup with, with mediocre goaltending. I don't care how good your special teams are or how sound your team defense is or how prolific your offense is. You've got to have good to great goaltending to win. But, you know, I, I think a number of, of goalies around the league are, are capable of, of getting to that level. Uh, they just have to do it at the right time. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with both of you guys. I, I think that's very much the case. Uh, you know, I, I think of a guy like Carey Price, a guy like Henrik Lundqvist, who to me in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, this millennium, I, I would think they're two of the five best goalies that have played in the 2000s, and each one of them has been to one cup because the team around them really wasn't good enough. Uh, in, in both cases, have really never had enough offense to kind of sustain deep playoff runs when their goalie wasn't standing on their head. So the, when we get back to the, the whole point with Pittsburgh, is if they're scoring, if they can, if they can score in the playoffs, and, and we know that they can, it just it just didn't happen again this year or enough. You just need good goaling, goaltending. You don't need elite, uh, elite goalie to do that. You just need a guy who is who is competent and, as you, Dave, you said, good in the playoffs. I don't think you even have to be great if you if you have those other elements there. You can just be really good, and we'll see if if Matt Murray 
is the guy next year. Uh, there's been some talk out there of could you add an elite goaltender to this team? Uh, it, it certainly sounds it's not like it's going to be Mark Andre Fleury. Taylor, do they need to add a guy who is not just maybe can compete with uh, Matt Murray, or I'm sorry, with Tristan Jari, but that can take his job? I, I just don't know who's going to be out there and if if they can afford it. I know a lot of – I feel like every time I do a live cues, people ask me about Gibson out in Anaheim. Uh, he's from Pittsburgh, but, sure. you know, he's a, a number one goalie like that, and Anaheim's going through a rebuild. Uh, and he, he's the guy I've seen a lot of people point to, and I I just don't think so because Gibson is young enough and he has a enough term left on his contract that what he could still, you know, theoretically be that number one guy when, when Anaheim gets out of the rebuild. And if you're going to go after, you know, another any rebuilding teams that have, you know, a good goalie, if it's a rebuilding team, they're going to want top picks, top prospects that the Penguins really don't have, um, or like they, they're probably not going to want to give up. Um, so I, I just don't see it happening. And then, in, I mean, in, if there's not one really hitting free agency this summer, so it would have to be a trade. And I, I just don't, I just don't see a, a path for that to even happen. Dave, you, you, it sounds the, the, the scenario that that Taylor just laid out, it sounds like it's going to have to be Tristan Jari elevating his game. Do you think that's what it's going to take uh, for these for this current team, or is there some pie-in-the-sky uh, solution out there? I don't think so. And I mean, unless Ron Hextall would blow up the whole thing, um, you know, and reassemble it with new pieces. Uh, you know, they, they just don't have the salary cap space, you know, as, as – the, you know, their lineup is currently constituted, uh, you know, to take on another big goaltender contract, even if they were able to acquire one. And I mean, Hextall is in a tough spot. He's uh, supposed to be reloading and rebuilding at the same <laughs> time. And, you know, those are conflicting objectives. Um but it's it's kind of the the mandate that that he's been given. But I think that unless he and the other decision makers in the organization have completely soured on Jari and given up entirely on him being a goalie that you can win with, which I I do not believe that that's uh, their attitude right now then I would expect them to stick with him as their go-to guy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, looking at Stanley Cup Finals, uh, Tampa Bay up 2 nothing uh, On Wednesday night, the Canadians gave a much better account of themselves, but it, again, it wasn't enough. Uh, the, the Lightning looked like a team that's on its way to winning a second Stanley Cup. And they're also a team uh, that is not very old. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they have any of their top players that are on the north side of 31 years old, which leads us to the question, Taylor, is this maybe the next dynasty in the NHL? I know you still have faith in your Habs to come back <laughs> and win this series. But if Tampa Bay ends up winning this, do they have a chance to put up a, a three, a four uh, Stanley Cups in this room? run in this window right now yeah i mean going back to my original pick i did say habs and seven but i mean to lose to win in seven you got to lose three so everything's going according to plan but uh 
as far as Tampa dynasty, I think that's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As far as Tampa being a dynasty, it's tough because, um, I mean, part of what got them, you know, to where they are this season is, you know, the uh, long-term IR manipulation. And that's not something that's sustainable. I mean, there's the Kucherov situation, but then there's also acquiring, you know, like Gabrick and uh, the guys, you know, just for that extra space. And that's something that's, you know, they can't carry beyond this uh, this season, really. And then you have those young players. Eventually, you know, some of these young players are going to need more deals and they're going to have to move on from some of these players. So Dynasty, it's going to be tough. Um, uh, but, I mean, I think they're going to be good for a long time. Dave, uh, as Taylor mentioned, they're, they're going to probably run into a situation similar to what the Blackhawks ran into during their run, where as you get guys that, 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 that come up that are these young, still younger players that are very good, they're going to push into their second contracts and make it tougher. But is there still enough talent there to maybe win another cup or two, to, which, which would, would certainly qualify as a dynasty? Yeah, in the salary cap era, if you could win three in a row or even three in four years, yeah, I would say that's as close to a dynasty as as we will see. Uh, something to keep in mind, though, and I saw this sabotage the Penguins twice, both in, in 2010 and in 2018, is after going to the finals two years in a row, the tank just gets empty. Yeah. You know, it... it Killed them against Montreal in in the second round in 2010 and again against Washington in, in 2018. And that's not to take anything away from, from the Canadians who got brilliant goaltending from Yaroslav Halak or, you know, the Capitals who went on to uh, win the Stanley Cup. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Penguins teams that, that lost in those years were simply out of gas. You know, they yeah. were coming off two long, physically and mentally grueling playoff runs uh, that, uh, you know, necessitate short off seasons. And I mean, that that's a hurdle that I, I think, you know, that the, the Lightning can expect to experience next year, regardless of how the, the final uh, turns out against the Canadiens. Taylor, is three or four in a span of six years, does that qualify for you? I would say so. I mean, like Dave said, in a, in a cap era, you're not going to get, you know, something like four in a row like like the Islanders did. Um, so, yeah, I think – yeah, because, I mean, you look at, like, what the Blackhawks did. I think you would consider that a dynasty. Um, and they didn't win, you know, three back-to-back. So, Lee, uh, what you suggested, I think, yeah, that would be a dynasty. Dave, like four, a four and six year spin, you hanging the dynasty label on them? Uh, I guess being uh, old school, I'm more in, yeah, I'm more inclined to go with consecutive cups like the Islanders or the Canadians before them. Uh, you know, I, I would like to ideally see at, at least three in a row before. I would uh, bestow that tag on a team. Although, given that it is the salary cap era, I might bend my rules a bit and go with three and four years. But I probably would prefer three in a row. Hey, well, do you consider that was was that a, a dynasty for you? They certainly won back to back. 
I, I'm sorry, Tom. I, I didn't hear the first part of. I, I said. I said. Would you, on your grading scale, would you consider what the Blackhawks did three cups in about a six or seven year span? That's not a dynasty to you. No, no. That's a really, really good team that went on an incredible run, but it's not a dynasty. All right. Good, good discussion here. All right. We got one more segment coming up. We'll be joined by Don Forslund. You hear him a lot on NBCSN. He's over the years. He did the uh, Canadians uh, Golden Knights series, and we'll get his thoughts on a lot of things, including the Kraken uh, when we come back on the 66 to 87 podcast. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, uh, joined by the great John Forsland. I'm, I'm being biased here, but he is one of my favorite play-by-play guys in the league. You've I'm no doubt enjoyed his work on NBCSN in recent seasons. And he will be starting a new role next season as the with the expansion Seattle Kraken. So uh, you got to be Pretty excited about working with a brand new organization. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to start that. Um, I consider myself lucky to get a second opportunity to mark time with a franchise like I did with the Hurricanes from day one. So not too many broadcasters get this opportunity throughout their careers to do it once. You know, every every guy that works for a, for an NHL team in this capacity is is very lucky, no matter what level the team is. Original six. Um, established franchise, whatever the case is. But when you get a chance to go to a brand new market from day one and, and restart their history and kind of do your part uh, along the way, it's really special. And I consider myself lucky to be able to do this. John, what, what makes a guy like Ron Francis right for a job like this, of building a franchise from scratch? Obviously, you're familiar with him. You guys were both in Carolina. What do you think makes him the right choice to kind of lead the expansion Kraken? Well, the number one thing, thing that jumps out about Ronnie is his intelligence, right? And I think as a, as a player, that was the thing that separated him from a lot of players was his IQ on the ice, his ability to read plays, his, his ability cerebrally and, and be able to, to kind of parlay that into a great career. I, I got to watch him then go into management and work his way up through the ranks through player development, assistant coaching, and get in management the same approach. And I think that's number one. And then patience and maybe to a fault in Raleigh, he was very patient as a general manager. He committed to drafting and developing. And when you, when you do that, you can't just say it and go halfway. And there was a push to, you know, kind of move to deals quicker act on some of the prospects, give up on some of the prospects when he was a general manager. There was a difference of opinion. Um, but the framework of what he did, all of his work there, you know, you see it today with the Hurricanes. Yes, they've made some deals to kind of augment what's already in place. But uh, playoffs, there's 14 players on the roster right now that are directly connected to Ron Francis and his his, his managerial regime there. So I, I think those two factors, along with, you know, classic di- dignity, the way he carries himself, he's going to be a great uh, front guy for the franchise. It's all going to come together. And I know he's been thinking about this plan, very secretive in terms of what it's going to be, obviously, but 
in a couple of weeks, we'll find out. We'll find out exactly what the first roster is going to look like, and that's going to be a great day. John, how high has the bar been raised uh, with, with, the, with the success of the Golden Knights? Obviously, no one saw, could have anticipated them going to the finals the first year. Normally, you'd, you'd say, oh, expansion franchise, they need three or four years. But do you think that some people in Seattle will just see, think, realize that's an anomaly, or will they expect success uh, pretty quickly there? Well, it's a great question. I think the fans expect success. I think ownership expects success. And I, I think Ronnie understands all of that, but I think he's realistic enough to know that that might be difficult this time around. I'm not sure the general managers will comply as much as they did or be in a position to comply as they did with George McPhee. Some of the trades that were made, they might sharpen up a little bit and protect some of those players and not, not expose some of those guys through trades. Um, so I think that might make it a little bit more difficult. With that being said, I still think the way the rules are, he's going to be able to draft a very competitive team. And when you look at the league in general, the parity that runs throughout the National Hockey League, it's far different than other sports. And when you look at the division the Kraken will be in, there are teams that are cycling down. You look at the three California teams as an example. And I think they're going to be able to jump in and, and compete. And that's all you want. You want, you want some, some hope for your fans in the first season. You don't want to be pushovers by any stretch of the imagination, and I don't think that's going to be the case. But I think Vegas might be an anomaly. We'll soon find out. And then the other thing you got to keep in mind is, you know, Vegas has gone all in in a hurry here. They, they, they had great success in the first season. Bill Foley, the owner, has been an all-in guy from the beginning, and it's proven now they've already had a coaching change. They've already made major trades. They've already sacrificed some of their – future to acquire guys like Pacioretty and Stone and I know Petrangelo was a was a free agent but that's that, that's a big investment Marc-Andre Fleury's contract the extension was a big investment he's a high uh, high cap hit right now so my point is when this run is over in the next two or three seasons and these guys get even older than they are now and the window closes on Vegas what do you have and I think that's what Ronnie's going to try and avoid. He's going to try and make the Kraken as good as they can be in the now. But you're going to want to be very careful with your drafting and your stockpiling of prospects to make sure that as you get five years into the thing, you're really, really viable. And maybe then you're, you're, you're a, a real team in terms of, you know, annually making the playoffs and all of that. I think that's going to be the goal. John, sticking with uh, the Golden Knights, just what do you think happened with them this year in the semifinals to go out the way they did? Well, I was surprised that, you know, the loss of Chandler Stevenson, you know, hampered their first line as much as it did. Uh, he's an underrated player. I mean, when he, when he went there, he was at best a number three center. He shows up in Vegas, and as, as things kind of fall into place for him, top line with Pacioretty and Mark Stone, and, you know, it's a great fit. He gets injured. Those two guys are not as effective. Um, but I really think they, they, they might have taken the series a little bit for granted. I don't, I, you know, it's hard to say that when you're in the final four, but it was almost like once they had some adversity, once Flurry had that gaffe in game three, you know, they, they couldn't catch up to themselves. And to Montreal's credit, they, they went to work. Their penalty killing was so great. Their goaltending was so great. And their overall five-on-five -five team defensive game was as, was as you know solid as you're going to see. 
and it just frustrated Vegas. And before long, a series that they thought they'd win, they were done. And so, um, you know, it's a shock to that organization. They expected to play for the cup. They expected to win the cup. Obviously, it's not going to happen. So the next season, they'll ratchet up the pressure a little bit more. They're still an elite team. But uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of moves they make, you know, in and around that roster for the next season. And then were you, uh, were you surprised to see the Penguins go out as quickly as they did for, for a third straight year? And then do you think they have uh, one more cup run left in them? Yeah, they fooled me again. You know, the, <laughs> the Penguins fooled me again. I thought they were going to do really well. Um, I voted for Mike Sullivan for coach of the year. Um, mm -hmm. I, I thought he did a remarkable job with a roster that was damaged with, with high-end players for the majority of it. Um, I thought they were going to get into the playoffs and, and go deeper. Uh, it didn't happen. I do think they have another swing at it. Um, I do think, like, it's pretty much an obvious point. They're going to look at goaltending, I would think. Um, maybe they don't. Maybe they trust what they have. But I would think that's a position they're going to look at and, um, and take another run at it. I, I do think they have the framework in place there. And, uh, you know, you've got new management. I think they're going to flex their muscles. Uh, John, speaking of Ron Francis, <clears throat> uh, the Stanley Cup, and the Penguins, it was 40 years ago that the uh, the Penguins won their first cup, a uh, an accomplishment, or excuse me, or was it 30 years? It's been a while, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and one of the, the real keys to that was the trade they made with Hartford at, at the deadline, bringing in Ron Francis, Alf Samuelson, and Grant Jennings. As a guy who was with working with the, the Whalers then and a, uh, a New England native, what was uh, the reaction in, in Connecticut and, and thereabouts to that trade? Well, Dave, we're going to get the rollback machine out now, aren't we? Um, this is this is interesting. I, I saw the trade from two angles. Number one, I was working in Springfield when the trade was consummated, and I was in the coach's office of Jimmy Roberts, the late, great Jimmy Roberts at the time. Um, and I remember him being on the phone with Eddie Johnston after they made the trade, and we got the news of what happened. And I remember the entire season – and what a struggle it was for Ronnie to get the contract he wanted. And basically it was a squabble over his contract, which led, led them down this road. And, uh, you know, I remember John Cullen was like fifth in the league in scoring at the time of the trade. And, you know, there was some pieces coming back. Zalapsky had a high ceiling, they thought. And uh, so I understood the mechanics of it. But then after that team won the Calder Cup in 91, I was hired by Hartford and, you know, a long story, but we don't need to go into it anyway. I ended up as the PR director. And so I was a PR director of the Whalers in my first season, 91-92, in the summer where, you know, the, it was the off season of this, uh, the aftermath of this trade. And Ronnie's presence, not only as a player, but in the community was so great. Season ticket base went from 10-5, 10,500 to just over 6,000. And so it was a summer of putting out fires. It was a summer of trying to build up a new uh, marketing push with these new players. Um, and it didn't work out. And it worked out great for Ron. It worked out great for the Penguins. It positioned the Penguins for takeoff, uh, put them in a, in a realm with some of the greatest teams we've 
we've ever seen in the history of the National Hockey League. As far as Hartford was concerned, it was the beginning of the end, really. Um, there was a there was a change in, in uh, managers with Eddie Johnston, the Brian Burke. Uh, Jimmy was given one year to coach, and he was out. Uh, Paul Holmgren came in. There was an ownership change. There was a disagreement with the city. And as we all know, by 1997, a team was on its way to Raleigh, North Carolina. So it didn't take long for the demise of the Whalers. And part of it, a lot of issues attached to it, but that was a monumental negative effect for the Hartford Whalers franchise uh, by, by trading Ronnie. And, of course, Alfie had a great run, too, with the Penguins. Oh. And on, on the subject of early Penguins Stanley Cup teams, they had a uh, an assistant coach uh, who you know received international acclaim named Pierre Maguire. I believe he later went on to some sort of broadcast career. Um, <clears throat> I think you uh, you worked with him on occasion. So, do you have any uh, Pierre Maguire stories, whether from his days as a coach with the Whale or? Uh, or as a broadcaster? Well, um, I've heard of this guy, right? So, I mean, he, um, he came in guns a-blazing as a head coach. And it was a very tumultuous um, atmosphere surrounding the front office, surrounding the ownership of the Whalers at the time. He wasn't given much support. And he pushed back at that. And when he pushed back at that, I think he lost a little bit of the locker room. There was a large part of the locker room that really liked playing for him. And um, that seems to get brushed over a little bit. So, you know, he, he decided that he was going to come in as a new sheriff. Didn't last long. There was some improvement, to be fair, with the team. Um, but it blew up. So, you know, he, he then was able to really, I think, get to a, a good place for him, um, you know, through for his initial stages in Montreal as a radio guy. Uh, going to TSN, all the world juniors he's worked over the years. I mean, every single player that uh, we see in today's game and over the last 15, uh, 15, 20 year span, really, Pierre saw his world junior players, uh, has followed their careers and has chronicled those careers and has a fantastic memory. He can reach back and tell you, you know, three gen generations long, you know, who the grandfathers are of some of these, some of these players. Absolutely amazing. Um, I've enjoyed working with him. Um, his passion, um, his energy for each and every broadcast. We worked a ton this year. Uh, we did a lot of Penguin games too, um, which would, which was good because he, he has a love for that city. He really does, and a, and a, and a love for the franchise. So, um, you know, he's positive. He likes to remember the good times, and there's a lot of a lot of great memories for him there in Pittsburgh. He reminds me a little bit of. Uh, he's not as over the top as a. Uh, uh, Dick Vitale, but he all does yeah. seem like a guy who is who you wind him up or he's he's plugged in and charged and then put right under the broadcast because he he's going 100 miles an hour from the moment he starts. Right. And he's that way at the morning skate. He's that way the night before. He's that way in the airplane. That's him. And the best thing about, you know, and the, the what you want to do as a broadcaster, I feel, is. Be, be yourself. You know, if you can get to that place, it's hard for young broadcasters to get there because they, they all emulate somebody and they try to copycat, which is good because it's like a, it's a compliment for those that are being uh, patterned after, but th that person's already accomplished something. So you got to kind of carve out your own niche. And I think Pierre has done that. And I've told him, it's funny you bring up Vital. I've told him that he reminds me of a hockey Dick Vital with the energy over the top nature 
Not everybody's going to like it. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people do like it. And I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy background stories on some of these guys. And I know some people don't want to hear it, but it's funny in other sports where we're more familiar with, um, you know, the kid that comes out of Alabama or comes out of UCLA, whether it be in basketball or football, we're always going back to that as broadcasters. Yet in hockey, there seems to be a kickback when he would roll it back to that level of junior hockey and trying to um, um, educate the American public on major junior hockey, for example, which is akin to uh, Division One football and basketball, really, when you look at it. So I, I never saw the problem with it. And like I said before, we had a, we had a lot of fun this year. An odd season for us because we were on site for a lot of games. Many times we're tucked away in the studios in Connecticut, calling games off the monitor, which is not ideal. Kind of like a padded room, uh, me in one shack, him in the other. Uh, and <laughs> and so that's that's kind of the way the season was. But at least in the playoffs, we're, we're, we're more or less back to normal, which was good. Well, I don't know how the Kraken are going to look in their first season on the ice, but I know that uh, fans are going to love hearing you up there. John, thank you so much for spending some time with us, uh, some really good stories. And, and that's it for us this week on the 66 to 87 podcast. For our guest, John Forslund, and for Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, this is Tom Reed. We'll talk to you next week on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network.